Hello and welcome back to the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast, hosted by me, the Lady Gardener. Get ready to hear from your favourite Instagram gardeners, allotmenteers, flower farmers and plant gurus on this season of the podcast. We'll be hearing people's stories of how they discovered the joy of gardening, learning about their growing spaces and of course hearing about their biggest achievements and fabulous garden fails, because we all have them. I hope you love listening to us chat about the things we've done in the name of plants just as much as we enjoy recording. And if you do, it would really mean the world to me if you could leave us a review because it really helps to get the word out to more planty people and share these amazing stories. This season is sponsored by Akai Outdoor Wear, which if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that barely a day goes by that I'm not dressed head to toe in their clothing, which is really made to last. I live in their thermal outdoor skinny trousers during the winter, which are bramble proof, waterproof and wipeable, perfect for days at the farm or the allotment. I've certainly put them through their paces and have been so impressed with the comfortable fit and durability of each and every item. And I have quite the collection now. So if you're keen to add some Akai pieces to your wardrobe, they've kindly offered podcast listeners an exclusive discount. So head over to the website and use code DOALG20 for 20% off your orders over £50. This offer ends on the 31st of May 2023. In this episode, I chatted to the incredible head gardener at Riverford Veg, Penny, about her journey into the world of growing and how she ended up with what I'd certainly consider as my absolute dream job. Her enthusiasm, passion and willingness to share was just so wonderful. And whilst I couldn't visit Penny in real life at her garden due to an illness, listening to her story just really brightened my spirits and got me excited for the many growing years I have ahead of me. I really hope you enjoy this one and if this doesn't make you want to quit your corporate job and get into the world of growing, I really don't know what will. Enjoy! Hello Penny, welcome to the podcast. Hello Shannon, how are you? Well, not doing super great but uh, we'll muddle through. How are you? (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, a bit fed up with the endless rain, but apart from that, yeah, very well, thank you. It's been a very long, cold winter, hasn't it? Oh, God, I think it really has been. I don't know, it's been pretty grim. On the back of two years of COVID, um, it's just been pretty bad. Yeah, well, we've got lots to talk about today then. Um, But before we get started, could you briefly introduce yourself and what your job is at Riverford? So uh, my name's Penny Hemming and I'm the head gardener and farm tour guide at Riverford. So I grow, I've got a polytunnel and um, a big polytunnel, 60 metres by 9 metres and about an acre of ground where I grow uh, flowers, veg and herbs for our restaurant which kind of showcases the vegetables that we grow on the farm. So it's veg centric although we do do they do cook meat as well yeah mm-hmm. so that's my job it makes me very happy to hear that you also grow the flowers yeah well it's kind of my background is more ornamental really mm-hmm. um and we put flowers on the table but we also have dried we drive grow and dry flowers and they're hung on the walls of the field kitchen which makes it look really gorgeous but also uh, we sell them to people and I run workshops, um, teach people how to grow them, but also teach, teach people how to make wreaths and um, how to make, you know, flower crowns and all sorts of things. So yeah, flowers are my passion really. 
but I love growing veg as well. Oh, fabulous. Well, we have a lot in common then. <laughs> Flower, growing flowers is definitely my passion, but I love the veg side of things. And I feel like there's something so satisfying about being able to eat the crops that you've been growing. Absolutely. And actually, you know, at the moment, what with sort of food insecurity sort of looming, I think growing, growing your own food is incredibly important. So yeah, I'm getting more and more into that really. So can you take us right back to the beginning of your story? Where did your interest in growing begin? Well, um, yeah, I've been thinking about this a bit the last few days, actually. Um, and I suppose my mum was a, a keen gardener. and I'm one of six children and my dad was um, sadly killed in a car accident when we were all trying, quite young. So mum had six kids between the age of eight and three months old mm -hmm. and she was a single parent so she grew she had a big vegetable garden and she spent most of her time out in that growing vegetables which I suppose was quite important really being a single parent and not having an awful lot of money growing um stuff that we could eat was kind of key I have to say though I didn't really appreciate it at the time. <laughs> you never do when you're young though, do you? No. But she guests out there picking endless raspberries and black currants and red currants and white currants. And I just thought it was all pretty boring really. <laughs> but um but the one thing I really did like was I loved playing outside and and we had an old disused drive driveway that I used to make camps in and so the outdoors was always something I really loved and I really liked it when she had um, bonfires and stuff like that which probably it's not very cool now to have bonfires but back in those days people used to have bonfires and um, I really enjoyed that as well so yeah um, my grandma was terribly posh and she had a border of uh, flowers you know perennials mainly so I used to quite like walking along her border and um, yeah, my other grandparents had chickens, which I quite liked. And then, yeah, so I suppose when I really started getting into it was when I would, I was, um, I went to France in my early twenties and lived on a in a commune over there. Wow. Um, yeah, and. The, at the time, the French government were giving out grants to French people to do up rural derelict buildings. So it was this beautiful farmhouse that was half fallen down in the lower Alps, just above Provence, actually. And um, so me and two other of my housemates when I was living in London went over there and uh, they were looking for more people to live there and help with the, all the work there so I was quite good at languages at school so French I was, I was pretty good at speaking French so we went there and my job was to help uh, Dominique uh, one of the French ladies there to grow all the vegetables that we fed ourselves with so that's when I, I really got into growing and we used to um, plant by the faces of the moon and yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I really got into it. So that was the beginning. <laughs> and so did you do any formal training after that? Or did you kind of just find your way through? I feel like growing veg is such a 
wholesome and really practical hands-on way of learning but there are a lot of people that feel like they need the formal qualification alongside it whereas other people just kind of you have that real kind of connection to the earth and you just you're learning as you go along yeah I just kind of I learned as I go along I mean after that I was only there for about a year and then I came back to London and you know at the time living in London this was in the early 80s it was, it was a bit depressing it was Thatcher batch of years of get on your bike there was no work and it was kind of quite depressing time and I was living in back in London feeling quite down really and then I came back to Devon which is where where I grew up actually and I met Pete who quite soon afterwards became the father of my children but he <laughs> had a small holding on the edge of Dartmoor and he was growing plants for pubs and he was making like hanging baskets and doing bedding plants for pubs so um soon after we met he said oh well why don't you come stay and do some work for me and so he taught me how to prick out bedding plants mm -hmm. and he paid me piece rate so i'd get so much a tray and i got really really good at it um, <laughs> i ended up it was costing him too much money so he put me on an hourly rate which I thought was dreadfully unfair but um so then yeah we were growing plants for guards then then it kind of developed further and I quite wanted to start doing Tottenham's market because I, I went to school in Tottenham and we me and my best friend from school used to do a market school every now and again sell our old clothes so I really enjoyed the buzz of the market so I suggested to Pete that we should try and set up a store selling plants and that's what we did, and it developed into, you know, we had a nursery growing plants for gardens. So it was it was lots of uh, perennials, shrubs, old-fashioned roses, uh, climbers, and a few veg plants that people could buy and then plant in their garden to grow on. And then we did cut flowers in the summer because people stopped buying plants at the end of May. And then back then, it was very dried flowers are very trendy so we grew flowers to dry and converted an old chicken shed where we hang them to dry and um and then we did plants again come september and christmas trees at christmas time and then there would be a lull for a couple of months in january and february where we start it all again mm -hmm. yeah. so that's kind of where i i got an awful lot my knowledge just grew so quickly over 12 years I yeah and I haven't ever done any formal training I've, I'm completely self-taught apart from I did a garden design course um, a few years ago um, but yeah now I I just learned by doing and actually having a store where you're selling plants to people you need to have pretty good plant knowledge so you learn very very quickly about plants about their names about their common names about what conditions they need uh, etc so yeah it was a massive very steep learning curve and something that i absolutely loved it just i just you know before that i didn't really know what i wanted to do and it mm -hmm. just you know i just fell in love with it i loved working outside and yeah so there you go. What an incredible story. And I think as well, it's so nice for people to hear that that's how 
that's how people have learned. And I think when you've got such a passion for something, especially with plants, I definitely found that when I'd been studying before, it was so hard to kind of get to grips with what you were trying to learn about because you just didn't have much of an interest in it. Whereas with plants, because you're, you feel such a connection to them, you, you yeah. want to learn more and you really have that kind of like hunger to kind of keep learning and keep expanding your knowledge and be able to kind of share your expertise and not even necessarily expertise all the time, just that real love of something that you can pass on for someone else to grow on in their garden and kind of have that magical experience for themselves. Exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously I have read lots of books and I use reference books quite a lot and I'm still learning. And now I, I actually teach quite a lot. So I teach people how to grow veg. You know, we run courses here at Riverford. Mm-hmm. How to grow veg, how to grow flowers, and, and how to do floral floral things and whatnot. And I I love that. And there, there are areas, you know, that maybe there are gaps in my knowledge course. You know, horticulture is such a massive subject mm. that you're always learning. And I suppose that's what I really love about it. I don't think... I don't think I could ever get bored with it, really, because there's so much to learn always. (laughs) And there's always something so exciting to learn and something new and kind of like these crazy facts that you you when you start to understand more about how plants work and it just blows your mind, really. It does. And, you know, I've got um, here at Riverford, I have uh, students that come and, and do work experience with me. So they're doing like regen farming courses and or, or organic uh, growing courses um, at Schumacher College or at the Apricot Centre. And so I actually learn from them a bit as well because they do, you know, soil science and stuff. So there's kind of gaps in my knowledge that get filled in by sort of chatting to them about what they're learning. <laughs> that's quite good as well. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, what a fab way to, a bit of learning by osmosis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, um so do you have a growing space of your own at home still? Yeah, so I've got a garden which um, isn't huge. So I split up from Pete years ago, but um, we're still great mates. So 14 acres was actually a little bit too much. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I left him, I moved into a flat without even a window box. And it was actually quite a relief for a short while. <laughs> but then I kind of missed, missed not having a garden. And yeah, so now I've got about an 80 foot garden and I've got borders and like my grandma (laughs) and I've got um, a greenhouse where I propagate from seed and I grow things like tomatoes and cucumbers and chili peppers in the summer. Um, I don't actually grow much veg because the bit, the area that I used to grow veg in has become quite shaded by some neighbours' trees. Mm -hmm. So... I haven't really got enough space to grow veg there, but because I work at Riverford, I get pretty much all my fruit and veg for free because <laughs> stuff, stuff that gets graded out and doesn't quite meet the grade for the boxes, um, staff can help themselves too. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sort of in my almost mid-60s, and so when I retire in three or four years' time, I will be looking to get an allotment because... I'm I'm used to not paying anything for my veg and it's going to be a massive shock for me to have to buy it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I won't imagine. To, yeah, I won't want to do that. So I'm going to put my name down for an allotment very, very soon, actually. 
and um, and I will grow my own veg and some I'll have some fruit bushes and maybe an apple tree and a pear tree and I'll probably have an area for, for flowers as well because flowers flowers are really important to me actually I, I'm Guy used to be Guy who's the founder of Riffers used to be um, he used to say oh you know what's the point if you can't eat it he was just I think he's changed a bit now because obviously growing flowers are really important because they attract in all the pollinating uh, of in, insects and they also, um, all the beneficial insects. Um, but I always say to people that, okay, food fills the belly, feeds the belly, but flowers feed the soul. And, you know, that's why they're so important for me. You know, there's nothing like having a lovely bunch of flowers on the table in your house they just give me so much joy absolutely especially when you I've just got some um, ranunculus and anemones on my table at home and watching them bloom and kind of change as they age is just such a wonderful experience and it you get that bunch of flowers and you think it's gorgeous when you get it and you put it in your vase and then over the coming days it changes and evolves so much as if it's still growing in the vase I know, aren't they incredible? Yeah, I've got a bunch very similar with some some of the lovely poppies in as well, which oh god, they're just so beautiful. Yeah, no, I I really really love it, and um, and you know the dried flowers I love as well. I actually prefer them just hung on the wall upside down. Yeah. Um, on the range, I kind of just like them like that. So I have a little area in my house where I've got some flowers drying and herbs as well. Yeah. It sounds fab. So do you find that you enjoy the gardening in different ways? So for me, when I have my allotment is the only place where I'm growing that's still very much a hobby. Whereas growing at the farm or growing in other people's gardens, it feels it's I still love it and I still really enjoy it. But because there's the pressure of the fact that you're being paid for it and you need to produce a certain outcome, it's a kind of different enjoyment. Do you find the same when you're gardening at home versus at work? It's a different kind of experience. Um, no, actually, you know what? I just I feel so lucky that I absolutely love my job. You know, mm-hmm. I go to every day. I go to work every day with glee, looking forward to it. And it's raining, <laughs> which does rain quite a lot, but. Um, luckily, I've got big polytunnels, so there's always work in there. No, I, I, I really, really love it. And my garden at home, I love as well, but it's kind of not quite big enough for me. So mm-hmm. I find it a little bit straighting, if anything. Um, I'm about to give it a massive overhaul because I've got a bit bored with some of the plants in it. So I'm going to be digging some out, and I'll be putting them on the pavement for people to help themselves to and just planting up some new varieties um, um, of things to try. So, um, so yeah, now I do love gardening at home, but it's, you know, once I've done it, there's not an awful lot to do. A little bit of tweaking here and there, a bit of deadheading maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I, I love it at work. So I, I've I mean... got the field garden, but I also look after all the planting around the site to make it mm-hmm. a nice environment for... The staff who work here, because it is basically, a, you know, some huge, great, big, quite industrial buildings that 
that don't look that great, but we've planted them up. We've got climbers planting up, um, growing up the buildings, and it, it is, it does look really lovely. So, so look after that as well. And I work in one private garden, which I love going to as well. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, isn't like that incredible that? incredible that you have found something that you just really love I've spoken to so many people recently who have said about how you you ask them about their job and they're like yeah I do this and that you're like do you enjoy it and they're like yeah it's okay you know it gets me by day to day and I think from my perspective because I found something that I really love and by the sounds of things very similar to you like I just cannot imagine waking up every morning and going oh yeah I'll just go to the job that I'm not really that invested in and I'm just gonna go because I need to earn money and like I just would always want more (laughs) absolutely yeah I just I do feel it's such a case really um and you know it's very physical but I think I it's kept me really fit you know for my age I'm pretty pretty fit and um and I'm quite mobile. I've got a bit of bad knee at the moment, but I um, probably if I'd been sat doing an office job, A, I'd be bored to tears, but B, I'd probably be a great big lump that couldn't move very well. Yeah, <laughs> so I I'm, completely I'm feel lucky. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so, so. Can, you, can you give us a bit of an introduction to Riverford for anyone who hasn't heard of them? And their veg boxes. Oh, yeah, so, um, I'm actually a huge fan. I love the boxes. I think that the ethos is brilliant. And there's just so many little touches that really make it, as a customer, such a special experience. Yeah, no, it's really, it's probably, it's probably the biggest veg box scheme in the country, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sell veggie boxes online to people. And we sell between 50 and 60,000 veggie boxes a week all around the country and wow. um, yeah so we've got three other farms one in north yorkshire one in cambridgeshire and one in hampshire and we've got a farm in france that um uh, so four other farms actually we've got a farm in france where we grow stuff because it's a bit further south and a bit warmer we grow stuff earlier mm-hmm. so it kind of helps to fill the the hungry gap a bit uh, which we're kind of just going into now um and yeah, it's a great business. It's a, quite in, a big employer in the area. Uh, I think here we employ about six, seven hundred people. Oh wow! And overall, overall the network is over a thousand. I'm not quite sure actually. I need to update my knowledge because I'll be doing farm support. <laughs> but yeah, it's probably about twelve, twelve or thirteen hundred people all told. Um, and people order. Generally, they'll have a weekly box that gets delivered to their front door. Um, and they, they're all sorts of different size boxes you can get. And they come along with a, rest, a little leaflet with, um, with recipes in that relate to what, what's in the box. And quite often some kind of rant from Guy about something to do with growing or farming. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic business. It really is. Um, and, you know, we've got really good customer retention because we really like to look after our customers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. And it's a lovely, really lovely place to work, actually. It sounds it. Feel, 
Yeah, you clearly are doing something um, that's good for the world um, and good for the people. Uh, yeah. And so do you get the opportunity to go and visit the other farms often or do you tend to stick to your Devon location? I'm mainly here. I have been up to farm in Sackwell once and I've been to farm in Hampshire. Uh, sometimes we put on events. Um, all that sort of died off a bit during COVID, but I expect it will start happening again soon. But yeah, we put on an event in Hampshire where people could come and have lunch or supper and we set up outdoor tables and we ran little workshops for guests. They were like box customers that were invited uh, and we cooked them an amazing meal. So we do, we like to do that um, sometimes, give our customers a good experience. We have a traveling chef that goes around setting up, um, doing meals in, in village halls and stuff and inviting our box customers to come along. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's up and running again yet, but we were doing all of that before COVID. Uh, Definitely something to keep an eye out for then. Yeah, something to keep an eye out for. I'm sure it will start happening again soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally, I'm just here. Uh, but occasionally, I'll get called off to go and do something, to run run the tour. But yeah, I was running a little tour of the up in Hampshire and um, doing a little growing sort of session with some customers when we ran that event up there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's good. Exciting. Um, so tell us a bit more about the growing space in the Devon location. So you, you said you've got a huge polytunnel. Do you have any outside growing space as well? Yes, yeah, so it's the polytunnel 60 metres by 9 metres and then the outdoor space is about 3 quarters of an acre um, where I've set it up sort of, so it's kind of allotment style in a way. I've got a couple of sheds with water butts on and paths and, and most of the lower beds are no dig and then the upper beds I get cultivated and just min minimal tillage so just very shallow uh, cultivation yeah uh, on, on in them um and the lower beds where i've got the no dig beds i've got paths that i've made out of um well that are covered in uh, sawdust because mm -hmm. there's a wood uh, there's a sawmill just up the lane so oh, I okay. can, yeah it's really handy and it makes quite a nice path actually so, and then the upper beds have got grass in between them. So we mow that off fairly regularly to try and keep the slugs and snail population <laughs> down. <laughs> and yeah, and then I've got some perennial beds, which I'm quite interested in having a perennial sort of area, which I did start setting up. Um, but it all, I've kind of lost my trainees. Um, the year after I planted it up and so unfortunately went it all went a little bit hot but I'm going to try and sort of save some stuff in it this year and get back to that area because I've got a really good training this year um yeah so and then yeah it, within the polytunnel we keep one area sort of free for running workshops in and at this time of year it's 
filled up with tables where, with thousands of uh, seedlings on them. Um, so I grow an awful lot of stuff from seeds. Yeah. And we've made we've made two propagation benches um, that are heated with kind of electric coils in them mm-hmm. and fans. And so we propagate, you know, I propagate all my own tomatoes, um, chilies, aubergines, um, lettuces, everything actually. About to sow courgettes and squash and simias and yeah, there's lots of stuff I haven't sown yet. Um, but yeah, so it's an incredibly busy time of year and there's seedlings everywhere. <laughs> um, we're just kind of waiting to get get some of them in the ground actually just waiting for the weather to finally hit the fact that it's meant to be spring it's meant to be spring and it um we managed to um get a little bit of cultivation done last week so we've got lots of beds ready to plant stuff and then it's just started raining again which is a bit annoying but we've got you know plenty to get on with um and luckily, having such big polytunnels, there's always stuff to do in there. So we've just stripped out um, crops down one end of the polytunnel. We grow salads in there during the winter. Mm-hmm. And we spread dung on all the beds, and then that's been uh, cultivated. So we're about to kind of set up the irrigation pipes and test them for leaves. And then we'll be planting all our tomatoes um, and chilies probably the end of this week or the beginning of next week uh in the polytunnel so yeah it's quite exciting i this change of season is really exciting it's, and at the moment you can see right through to the end of the polytunnel but come july you can't see the end it's <laughs> like a jungle in there it sounds incredible i think that this change of the season as well is the most exciting of the year because it's the one where you really regain that hope for something like, especially after this long cold winter, it, you start to kind of dwindle that the fact that winter's ever going to end, and you're thinking, yeah. "Gosh, I don't know if I could do this for much longer." And then the the turn of the season comes, and you finally start to get things in the ground, and it really yeah. rekindles your love for everything that you're doing. It does. It does. Yeah, I know the winter can be can be tricky. I mean, luckily, you know, in the winter, we've always got plenty to do in terms of doing crop plans, planting plans, seed stock take, seed orders. We also save an awful lot of our own seeds. So oh, wow. Which, yeah, which I love doing. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we're sorting all of those out and packaging them up, and we give quite a lot of them away and send them to customers and stuff. So, Talking about planning, because this is one of my favourite topics in the gardening world. What what kind of methods do you use to plan? Are you more of a pen and paper kind of girl or uh, Excel sheets? Well, I do have Excel sheets. And, you know, to begin with, I used to find them a bit of a nightmare, but I'm becoming quite good at it now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I used to... I used to do it all with pen and paper but actually then I'd kind of you know they'd be scrambled up in a in a and get mouldy because they're in the polytunnel in a pile somewhere and then they get lost and so I um then started doing it kind of I get some big cardboard boxes from from recycling mm-hmm. and draw out all the beds and 
kind of rough, and then have bits of paper that I kind of move around over the bed and work out where I was going to plant everything. And then I'd make, put it into a kind of spreadsheet that I made mm-hmm. or an Excel spreadsheet. Um, but this year, do you know what? I didn't do that. I just went straight into the spreadsheet. So I'm getting a bit more high tech <laughs> these days. You've eased yourself into it. <laughs> Yeah, I have. And actually, you know, my trainees who who are always sort of in their 20s or 30s, they're they're usually an awful lot better at all this kind of, you know, IT techie stuff, you know, which I didn't grow up with. So I've I've always struggled with it a little bit. But Mm -hmm. um, so I I always learn an awful lot from my trainees. They're meant to be learning from me. I'm sure they do as well, but uh, (laughs) I learn from them as well. (laughs) It's quite nice that it's a two-way street though, isn't it? I think sometimes you forget how much you can learn from other people and kind of differing skill sets and you can kind of take take the bits that you need from that and then add to your own knowledge. Yeah, yeah, so right. And yeah, quite often they're a bit, they're quite, um, they're super clever, a bit whiz kiddish on Excel sheets. So, you know, <laughs> I feel I, like it's I ingrained in us these days. Sorry? I feel like it's ingrained in us these days, like from school, college, yeah. any kind of corporate yeah. job that you ever have, you, you must be able to use an Excel spreadsheet and be able to do ridiculous formulas. I know, I know. And um, yeah, I used to get into a massive panic because I thought I'd lost everything. And in fact, I just kind of left the filter on by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Easily done. Easily done. And now I'm, I'm actually, I feel quite... Um, it's quite an achievement for me. I feel au fait with Excel. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Celebrate those little wins. Absolutely, yeah. So that's really good. And um, yeah, yeah, so all the tomatoes I grow are all from seeds that I've saved, which is really satisfying. I love doing it. And, um, and a lot of the flower seeds I use are saved seeds as well. Um, so that's really good. I mean, obviously with veg, some of the veg seeds, it's, it's quite complicated saving the seeds and you have yeah. to isolate them. And so I don't bother with the more complicated stuff. But um, there's a really good local seed company just down the road, actually on Guy's Farm. Um, and I love supporting them because they produce a lot of their own seed. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is with seeds is the more locally produced it is, the more uh, suitable it is to your soil, your climate, your environment. So it's going to grow an awful lot better than most seed is produced thousands of miles away, not in this country at all. Yeah, so this is one of the things that I learned last, last year. And I don't know why it had never crossed my mind before. But people were kind of suggesting that it was better to save your seeds for certain things because it would build up a tolerance to your climate and things like that. And it was, again, one of those things that just blew my mind a little bit. And I was like, that makes so much sense. I don't know why it's why it's taken me yeah. so long to realise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. And honestly, it's really, I don't know, I, I, I belong to a couple of growers' groups, a, a kind of veg growing group, because, you know, here we're quite near Scotland and um, and it's kind of the centre of organic growing, I think, Devon. It does mm. seem to be, uh, there's just, it's a hot spot, isn't it? Of organic yeah, growers. absolutely. So, yeah, there's a veg growing 
growing group. I mean, it's kind of WhatsApp group and the flower growing WhatsApp group. And yeah, we've just been having quite a lot of seed chat recently in the flower cluster group um, because I just find my own seeds, seeds that I save, they germinate so much better than the seeds I buy in. So true. It's so weird. So, yeah, there's an awful lot to be said for it. Okay, they might not, you know, I save a lot of cosmos seeds. They might not all come completely true, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're flowers, you know, they're still beautiful. Um, and so I get a really good mix of all sorts of different colours. I haven't tried yet with the newer apricot cosmos, but oh, yeah. Try, try them as well. Yeah, they're my big one for this year. But I think as well, there's something quite magical about not knowing what the flower is going to turn out to be like. I love it when when a dahlia or a cosmos comes with like a bit of a, what some people might call an imperfection, but where it doesn't look how you're expecting it to, but it's completely unique and individual in its own way. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, such fun, it really is. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's dead worth it. Bread worth it and um <laughs> actually bread from vital seeds which is where i get a lot of my veg seeds from he's yeah. the local one he he was saying that flour with veg seeds you have to do a um germination test and you're not allowed to sell them unless there's a certain percentage of germination i, th- I think it's quite high like 95 percent or something yeah and uh, but he said that there there aren't any that doesn't happen with flower seeds, so they don't have to test them. Oh, so, you really? Know, I found, yeah, I found with some of my flower seeds that I've sown, the germination is pretty rubbish. But um, the thing is, they don't have to test them. And also, I just wonder with the seed companies, whether they keep the seeds for two or three, maybe have a batch two or three years before they sell out. And, you know, yeah. all seeds are live, really, and they don't last forever. So, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So in terms of the varieties you grow, obviously because you're you're growing for customer veg boxes and although we wish that everybody had the passionate interest in veg that we did, not everyone does. Do you have to grow more traditional varieties or do you still get to grow some kind of more unique, more interesting varieties as well? Well, I mean, I don't grow anything for the veg boxes myself. I just grow for the for the restaurants. So that's mm-hmm. quite different. So I tend to grow more unusual, slightly more heritage varieties, more old fashioned varieties. Nice. Whereas the farm probably grows more modern varieties that are kind of bred to be resistant to disease and maybe to be more regular size and shape. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Ribford are, when they're choosing varieties, they are, I think what makes them different from other other veg box companies and definitely, definitely from supermarkets is they, well, they look at a criteria when they, when they look at what variety to grow. So the criteria will be um, resistance to disease, flavour, um, size, of the end product, which dictates how long it's going to take, so they can work that out. You know how much how much that's going to cost, mm-hmm. and uh, and I've said flavour, so resistance to flavour. But there's one other, and I can't remember what it is. 
um, but uh, but whereas most far- oh and yield yield so oh, most okay, farmers yeah. or growers will look at yield above everything else whereas Riverford will look at flavour above anything so mm-hmm. it's really important to Riverford what they're growing has superb flavour so they will choose a carrot with really good flavour over a carrot with very high yield and no and not much flavour yeah so, um, so that's what kind of makes them that's a unique selling point I suppose I think as well, the carrots are one of those big ones where a supermarket carrot versus a Riverford carrot or a homegrown carrot, the taste is incomparable. <laughs> like, I don't think you know what a carrot tastes like if you've only ever eaten a supermarket carrot. That is, that is so true, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, Riverford probably, they probably will look at, they obviously look at yield as well, but um, flavour is the most important thing. Um, so the next question I've got for you is about the weather over the last few years, which has been unpredictable to say the least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you having to kind of plan in a bit of a different way to counteract the fact that the weather is quite unpredictable and quite like we've had this really long, cold, wet winter? Who knows what the summer might be like? Last year was just very hot and dry. Are you finding you're having to adapt your kind of way of growing to those or at the moment do you think it's kind of okay? Yeah, so I think I think all growers are having to think a bit outside the box and look at varieties maybe that are more resistant to disease. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's certain, there's a variety of courgette you can grow which puts down a really deep root so it's more resistant to drought. Yeah. I think it's um, so we've sort of been growing that variety for several years now um, and also more difficult on a field scale but for, for for smaller growers mulch you know planting out your crops and then mulching to try and lock in the moisture yeah um, is, is one way forward yeah I do think about it quite a lot and trying to save more water you know, having more water butts, um, more tanks where you can save water. I mean, I think generally speaking, we we all need to be saving more water because it rains a horrendous amount in the winter, doesn't it? In autumn, yeah, and quite a lot this spring as well. Um, so we need to really be building more reservoirs so that we've got more water for because we it seems to be a bit of a pattern of having these droughts in summer um so yeah things there are certain crops that hate it that hot and dry like lettuce mm. and, you know if you can't get enough water on lettuces and it's really hot they just fold so maybe planning that in a bit maybe only growing them in the early spring and early summer maybe not forgetting about trying to grow them later on or grow them in shadier areas um yeah i think we're all having to think about it and it is difficult because how do you plan because you don't really know what's going to happen is it going to be horrendously wet summer like we had in 2012 where it rained all all summer practically or is it going to be a drought nobody knows 
And that's the trouble with climate change is we're constantly having to adapt and change. And yeah, I haven't really got the answers, but I think we're all all thinking about it more. Um, thinking about, you know, for instance, no, no dig. Um, if you're a small grower, that that <clears throat> that means that the soil will hold the moisture, hold on to the moisture. Whereas if you're cultivating, it dries it out. So doing those yeah. things definitely a way forward as well. Um, not disturbing soil as much as possible. Um, At the moment, it yeah, just feels I like think... we're mitigating risks, doesn't it? And trying to do what we can where we can. Yes, exactly. That's all we can do, really, isn't it? But, yeah. Yeah. It's always around the spring that it really hits me because it's that when you see the daffodils coming out, I remember last year the daffodils were just out so early and because we hadn't had, last year we didn't have any of the really hard frosts where I am, a lot of the plants that should have been killed off by the frosts in kind of November, December, they were still going right up until January, yeah. February time and they just never had that break and you you wonder how, what effect that is going to have on the plant in the long term that it's not had its restful restful season. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this winter was pretty cold, wasn't it? But in a way, I I quite I quite like that having a proper a proper winter. I think it's good for soil. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's good for plants as well to have that cold snap. Um, and we've had plenty of rain, I think. Although it feels like we have. Although someone said that the water table isn't up to what it's where it should be in some reservoirs are still a bit low. But oh, really? I find that, well, I find that hard to believe. Me I too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it stopped raining for six months. Okay, it was a bit sunny over the Easter weekend, but other than that. Yeah, I know. We have, I think we've had plenty. I mean, because, yeah, the winter before, it was really quite a dry winter, and I think we did go into spring with reservoirs not being full and yeah. that is worrying you know yeah that was a bad one last year really I mean I definitely didn't store enough water over the winter and by I think it was the end of May we'd already run out of stored yeah. water yeah yeah and then there was those 35 degree days and we were just done in <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah I don't know what the future holds. I mean, I think um, foraging and growing, eating more wild food is going to be, become more and more of a thing. Yeah, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's brilliant that this is all becoming a bit more mainstream and less less of a niche yeah. and more of kind of a, a lot of people are adapting this into their lifestyles and really understanding why it's so important. Really? I think the kind of tomato and cucumber crisis of recent months um yeah. a lot of people off the back of that have gone well I'll definitely be growing tomatoes at home this year I can't I cannot be dealing with not having tomatoes for a few months <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah, like you know what if that's what's going to get get you into growing your own then by all means <laughs> yeah grow your own and then I think people maybe are going to start getting preserving you know vegetables more because you know the cost of having a freezer is you know the electric costs are so high aren't they yeah but actually doing preserved veg is going to become more of a thing as well 
and maybe growing more beans that you can dry and then soak and use through the winter is going to be more of a thing as well. I mean, we really need to start thinking about it. And it's weird the way it's all going kind of back to what our grandmothers used to do. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, though. I think it's it's it feels like the exact right thing to happen. And I think that overall you have a real a much bigger sense of purpose and satisfaction from what you're doing if you're doing it in that kind of real natural way rather than going against everything that nature is intended to do absolutely yeah i agree i agree it was a great book i read actually um and it's by barbara king solver i'm just trying to find I'm looking on the internet right now to see if I can find the name of it. And it's all about her growing um, food for the family. Um, uh, let me just have a look. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Barbara. Barbara. Animal vegetable, animal vegetable miracle. Really good book. You should have a read of it. And that has got loads about growing, but also about preserving, so that you can, so you've got enough food through the winter months where you haven't got much growing anymore. Really interesting. Again, I think it's one of those things that us allotment gardeners are terrible. I'm for one, I'm terrible at that making sure that I'm prepared for the winter months. And so I just really miss all the homegrown produce until it gets to spring yeah. and summer again. And then I think, oh, I'd best be more prepared this year. And I never am. But this year is the one. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I reckon growing more beans and growing lots of squash because they do keep for months they do. and months. And, and they're so tasty um, and versatile. Absolutely. Thanks. Fantastic. And then kale and perennial kale as well. A perennial kale, um, you know, you need quite a big space for it because they grow enormous. If, you, if you're if growing a few, you have to plant them eight foot apart. <laughs> eight they, foot? Yeah. And they last for eight years. Oh, wow. Absolutely incredible. Um, and they, yeah, growing more perennial vegetables that you can just, pick all year round. I mean, you can pick that all year round. Things like Jerusalem artichoke, the root edge that you can store through the winter as well, like beetroots and carrots and parsnips and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, and leeks are great, aren't they? Cabbage. Yeah, I mean, so I'm great. I'm a huge cabbage fan as well. I love cabbages. <laughs> Do you have a particular, I know that this is going to be a really hard question, but like particular vegetables that are your favourites? I think the one I enjoy growing most is our tomatoes, actually. I love, and I know officially they're a fruit, but I, I just love the whole growing of them and the, the training them and the side shooting of them and the harvesting of them and the collecting the seeds of them and the eating of them. <laughs> so, yeah, if I had to choose one, I think it would be that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm with um, you there. It's a, it's a fantastic one. Although, are you a lover or a hater of the smell of the tomato leaves on your hands? No, I love it. I absolutely love it. It seems to be quite... Know, a... actually, that, that, do you know the term green fingers? Comes yeah. From picking tomatoes? No way. Because if you... Yeah, because if you spend, like, if you came to my polytunnel and helped me side shoot all the tomatoes, I grow about, uh, grow about 25 different varieties and quite a few of each. So you'll be side shooting for like 45 minutes or an hour. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, your hands will be, it's kind of a blacky green colour. Oh, that's yeah. That's where the term green fingers come from. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I know. I learned that a few years ago off another grower, actually. That's going to be my yeah, new no, favourite fact. The, yeah, I love the smell of it. I love the smell of it. And actually, our chefs here, they use the side shoots to make um, green gnocchi. And oh, wow. Yeah, and you can also put the side shoots in a stock if you're making a stock. And it flavours the stock. So, um, you don't I can imagine it because it's, it's very aromatic, isn't it? I bet that makes a, a real flavour difference. Yeah, real flavour difference. And apparently you can even put bits, in, you know, a little bit in a salad to give it a little bit of flavour as well. I'm going to be going all out with the tomato leaf garnishes this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the flip side, do you have a veg nemesis? Is there a veg that you are yet to conquer? Is it, sorry, say that again. Do you have a veg nemesis, a crop that you're yet to conquer? Um, oh, well, let me think. I'm sure there is. I'm trying to think what it is. Um, I'm good at aggressive. I love aggressive. Have you ever grown that? That's no. Really it's a bit like samphire, but, but it doesn't grow in a in an estuary. It grows in the ground. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll have to add it to Yeah, me. that's a really good one quite chefy but it's delicious um carrot can be a bit problem sometimes but um i've learned that actually you know carrot seed needs to be dead fresh so it's Mm -hmm. worth getting new seed every year don't try and use old seed it just doesn't germinate very well but yeah carrots can be a bit problem it's um i'm not brilliant at carrots so I'm sure carrots. that lots of people will be relieved to hear that such an expert girl also has trouble growing carrots. <laughs> well, I think it's the, I, I quite like saying by the moon, you know, the biodynamic sort of moon calendar. Yeah. I think that really helps. But, you know, if it's wet weather, it's the slugs and snails can be a real problem, can't they? Yeah. And then the fruit fly can be a problem. It's just they're, they're just wrought with problems really but um brought with problems not wrought with problems <laughs> but um but they're so worth yeah. it when you get them to work they are really worth it and then i suppose cucumbers you know they have a tendency to get mildew in the polytunnel yeah so i'm trying to every year i'm like i'm gonna do it better i'm gonna do it better and because my whole polytunnel is on one sort of irrigation system mm-hmm. um smart tomatoes don't need quite so much water as cucumbers but they all get the same mm-hmm. so I'm going to be going and giving the cucumbers a little bit extra by hand and um, trying to get around the mildew problem 
but you know things are so prone to mildew in a polytunnel. Yes. Uh, I was going to say, do you have any magic tips on how to keep it at bay if you've already got mildew? <laughs> well, I think there are things you can do. I mean, ventilation is key. So making mm. sure you plant things at the right distance and don't not squeezing things in too close together. I think um, that's where I've gone wrong. Yeah, it's really important to do that. And then, you know, mulching the base of the plants, I think, can really help. And, and keeping the airflow as good as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I, there is a biocontrol you can get, but I don't know if you can get it in small quantities called HU10. And you can spray, it's a kind of bacteria that comes in a powder form and you mix oh, it with okay. water. And you can spray it on the plant and that's meant to prevent mildew, but you have to introduce it before you get mildew. Mm-hmm. So, um, Oh, that's good to know so that. Yeah. And, you know, because my polytunnel is there for customers to wander through, um, we really like to come through it. Uh, and, you know, I do farm tours as well. We don't really want everything covered in mildew because it's not very nice to breathe in all those spores. And no. it, it's very unsightly. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to make it a mildew-free area. <laughs> but, um I'm not quite sure if there are any other remedies. I think someone said to me that sulfur, you know, like that horrible yellow, eggy sort of smelling stuff oh, yeah. you can get mixed with water can help as well. Oh, okay. My ranunculus have, have got a, a terrible case of powdery mildew. And when you said about the planting they? distances, I was thinking it's because I've tried to squeeze them, squeeze them all in. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's probably what it is. Well, if it's any consolation, most of my ranunculus and anemones have been eaten by voles or mice, I think. No. So, yeah, so I didn't actually have any this year. And um, I've been buying buying lovely bunches from the Apricot Centre instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is my first year I've ever successfully managed to grow ranunculus. I've been trying for three years. And finally, oh, this year with the polytunnel, the polytunnel was the magic trick. That's it, isn't it? They're just so beautiful, aren't they? They really are lovely, stunning, and they get better with age. They're just wonderful. Yeah. They, yeah. What color do you grow? Um. So at the moment, I've got the salmon ones, which I think Ooh. are are they the peachy ones? Oh, lovely. And then I've got some pastel pink ones and I've got white ones. So I've, because I have never successfully grown them, I was quite conservative and went with, I, I think there's maybe 200 in total and they're split between the three colours. And when I say conservative, wow. that still cost me a lot of money for, for the risk. So I'm like over the wow. moon that they have grown and that I've, I harvested the first maybe six last week and I took them home and I was like, I'm not selling these because these are my my prized children but i have a oh, wedding next cool. week so i will hopefully be selling the first bucket oh, of ranunculus no, next week well you know what i did last year is once they finished flowering i lifted them all and dried the corns out so that i could use them again this year and it worked so do oh, that really i yeah. uh, you know what i keep meaning to re- do some research on whether you can save the corns because they're so expensive I mean, even they if they just went to the allotment the next year, I'd be over the moon to save them. 
No, you can, you can, you can do it, and with an enemies as well. So, so yeah, absolutely no reason why not. Do you or have you to wait for them to die off before you lift them, or can you lift them as soon as they um, start flowering? You know what? I just kind of did it. I just, yeah, they kind of died back pretty much. Okay. Uh, but I could still see where they were. Yeah. And then I just, but I reckon you could just even lift them with the foliage on and kind of let the foliage die off still attached Ooh. Uh, as well I am yeah. 100% going to do that this year definitely and then you can buy more next year you have even more yeah I have more pocket money to spend um so final question and then I'll let you get back to your lovely garden um okay. what piece of advice would you give for anyone who's looking to move into a similar career I think anything in the growing space, someone who's looking to start growing as a career rather than just as a hobby. Um, well, I would say go and volunteer. Um, volunteer for people, for other growers in the area to get experience. And mm-hmm. Learn as much as you can from, from other growers. Uh, before you get into it and and study and read and just grow what you love because I think having the passion is what makes you learn so yeah just grow things you really love growing I think that's fantastic advice yeah well that's what did it for me (laughs) (laughs) well it's been such a pleasure to chat to you today I just I love your passion and enthusiasm for the whole growing industry and I feel very inspired for the year ahead Definitely going to be getting some more perennials into the allotment. Going to save my ranunculus corms. I'm just very excited for it to finally stop raining. <laughs> yes, yeah, bring it on. And and Shannon, come over and see. Come and see my plot at some point. I'd love to show you around. Yes. And anyone else who wants to Riverford, come and see the polytunnel and garden. It's open to the public. Thank you. Well, I was gutted that I couldn't come today, but I will definitely be rearranging my trip and I'll come and visit you in real life very soon. Lovely. Thank you so much. You made it to the end of the episode, which means you must have enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd be ever so grateful if you could head to your favourite podcasting app to give us a follow and leave us a little review, which helps to get these stories out to more amazing planty people. If you've got any questions or stories you'd like to share, find me over at Diary of a Lady Gardener on Instagram. And don't forget to head to Akai for some fabulous new outdoor wear using the code D-O-A-L-G-20 for 20% off your order. That's all from me this week. Happy growing! Happy growing!